This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, July 29th, 2022. It's almost August, but before we get to August, we're going to talk with Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics. He's on the phone from his Fort Smith office. Michael, what do you look forward to most in August? Uh, The end of it. (laughs) All right. Moving into September. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because a lot of what we're going to talk about today is about the future, but we're going to start. We're going to start with the immediate past and the present, and sales tax receipts in the Arkansas River Valley uh, still going up. Yep, still going up. It's just like many parts of uh, Arkansas um, sales tax revenue, and the one we look at the closest it's um, Fort Smith's share of the Sebastian County one percent tax. Uh, because that's what a lot of general fund or that goes into the city's general general fund helps them pay for um, fire, police, emergency services, basic administration, that kind of thing. So critical services. But in the June report, um, which kind of reflect which reflects April transactions, um, the city share was uh, just a little over two million. It was up um, set over seventeen percent. Uh, compared to June of last year. Now, as we've said before, we have to keep in mind that um, there's inflation. <laughs> Obviously, I think everybody's aware of that now. So inflation plays a part in that, but it doesn't play a part in 17%, you know, almost 17.4%. So um, the consumer is still spending. And I think that's what we're seeing. You know, there's a lot of talk about a recession um, uh, and I think even uh, yesterday on Thursday, the GDP numbers came out showing two consecutive uh, down quarters, which technically um, is a recession. But if this is a recession, then it's going to be a weird one because unemployment, the unemployment rate is so low and the consumer is still continuing to spend. Um, so that's what we're seeing in Fort Smith. Um for the first um, six reporting months of the year, that countywide, the city share of that countywide sales tax uh, is almost eleven and a half million, uh, and that's up almost twelve and a half percent from the same time last year. So, uh, again, consumer spending. Uh, we've talked to or Tina Dale, who uh, keeps up with this for us. Uh, talked to some. Uh, talked to the direct uh, director, Levon Morton. Um, they're, they're optimistic, I think, uh, but, and they're, they're glad that the number's up, but they're still budgeting conservatively because they don't know. It's almost one of those, this is too good to be true. You know, how long is it going to last kind of thing? Um, and we did have a couple of months this year where the increase was, you know, I think one was less than 2%. So, um, it bears watching, but I continue to be. I guess pleasantly surprised that the um, the increases are up, and if, and if we want to look at it from a state level, um, the state's economist John Shelnut is predicting uh, over 900 million in potential tax surpluses in a tax surplus, I should say, next fiscal year. And the caveat there is if the legislature expedites some tax cuts, but. Um, there are some expectations that this will continue. Well, okay. I mean, you're right. It it, it seems slightly 
counterintuitive, but I'm no economist. Right. Uh, yeah. in, <laughs> in the near future, we might hear about the ruling that dates back to the problems the city of Fort Smith had with recycling, or maybe the problems of telling people they weren't recycling. Um, we should get a ruling on this lawsuit maybe next week. Maybe you're right. Maybe sometime next week we've been told, um, yeah, between October 2014 and June 2017, the city of Fort Smith was collecting recyclables and sending most of it to the landfill. Uh, and I think, and I'm proud to say that it was talk business and politics who broke the story. Um, the, our reporter at the time, Eric Mitchell, just happened to contact um, the uh, Green Source Recycling in Clarksville, who was allegedly receiving the recycling goods and, and the guy there said, yeah, we hadn't been getting them. So um, that was disturbing on many levels. I mean, the city was just blatantly lying to residents for almost three years, 22 months uh, that they were sending recyclables um, to be recycled, which I, that's kind of the definition of recyclables. But um, so Jennifer Marriott, she's a, a resident here in Fort Smith in late 2017, essentially filed a class action lawsuit um, demanding that the city refund residents. Um, so that has been trickling through the courts. Uh, the city's defense, the best I can tell, I have asked them for a clarification, and because the city is always so transparent and easy to communicate with, uh, they've not gotten that back to me. Um, but their argument, the best I can tell, and again, I welcome them to respond to my questions, trying to clarify it, um, is that um, you really can't sue us. You really can't sue a city for lying. There's no precedent for us. So sorry, which is just an amazing defense. But anyway, that kind of seems to be their defense. Um, Whitfield Hyman, who I'm the attorney for Jennifer Merritt, I've been talking to, um, he thinks that that's a weak defense and he's hopeful I'm not sure optimistic is the right word, but that uh, Judge Stephen Tabor, this is before Sebastian County Circuit Court, Judge Stephen Tabor, that uh, he will rule in their favor. They're asking for around $825,000 uh, $25, in refunds from the city to the city residents. Don't ask me how that refund process would work. I haven't got that far yet, but that's what they're asking for. All right. Well, stay tuned. Maybe we'll be talking about that ruling next week. Also, in the future, there will be, I mean, Mercy has been announcing a lot of things, the Mercy Health Systems, in the past couple of weeks, and we know that there will be a cancer center built in northwest Arkansas. That doesn't change the fact that there's also going to be one in Fort Smith. Right. Um, and Mercy has, has not announced that they're planning a cancer center in Fort Smith. I just had, it's kind of been a story I've been setting on for a little over a year. I just, you know, when you when you've been a reporter like I have in an area for long enough, you develop enough sources. And several of those have told me that Mercy was wanting to build a cancer center here. And so when they announced that this $500 million expansion in Northwest Arkansas that included the cancer center, I thought, well, I just need to quit sending on this information from sources and just go to Mercy directly. So Mercy, um, Ron Gehrig, who's kind of, who's head of Mercy operations in Arkansas now, uh, confirmed that they do have a cancer center being planned for Fort Smith, and it, uh, the one that they announced in Northwest Arkansas will not change that. Um, so that's the only detail they've provided. 
uh, the sources I talked to said that the center in Fort Smith would cost around 70 million. Um, initially, they had hoped, which um, I've been sitting on it for a year, the initial hope was that it would be built by the end of 2023. I don't know if that's still on, on track, but um, hopefully they that will come true and they'll make a sizable investment uh, in Fort Smith. As a person, unfortunately, who's had to use Mercy Oncology sources, uh, resources in Fort Smith, they could, I can tell you they could definitely use uh, a center dedicated just to treating cancer patients. All right. And, and finally, uh, looking toward the future, A Street in downtown Fort Smith. Now, let me get this straight. It's owned by the state, and they might give it to the city, and the city might do something with it? Yeah, yeah, the state manages that okay. road, or they're supposed to. If you've driven on it uh, recently, you may wonder if anybody's managing it. But <laughs> um, it, uh, there is some talk about the state handing that over to the city, and then the city could convert that to a pedestrian walkway. Now, if that works out, and if it's handled correctly, um, and they put some landscaping and some thought and good design into it. That could that could be cool as hell for downtown Fort Smith to have that walkway. Um, uh, at least it would be truck free. You know, we're still challenged in our political ability to get trucks off of uh, Garrison Avenue in downtown Fort Smith. But ideally, this could happen. Who I don't think it'll happen in the next two or three years. It would be nice, but. It's something that we're definitely going to keep our um, eyes and ears open for because, like I said, that could be just a great uh, component to the quality of life, the livability, the walkability uh, in downtown Fort Smith. Now, as someone who drives in downtown Fort Smith from time to time, but not often enough to have memorized which streets are one way this way and which ones are this way, A Street is a one-way street, correct? Yes, it is, and so they could— take the two-way B streets and one way also. Right. So you could convert. I don't know if this is what they're going to do, but you could convert B to, a, you know, from a one-way to um, two, two lane. Um, so I don't know how they'll work it, but um, hopefully there are enough creative um, forward-thinking people involved to make that work. All right, you can read about all of these items and much more at talkbusiness.net. Michael, we will start the arduous journey through August next Friday together. All right, well, um, I look forward to the conversation, maybe just not so much it being August. Thank you, Michael. Billy Russo is essential to the Chicago White Sox. He's the team's interpreter. What if a player yells at an umpire in Spanish using choice words? If we say that, yes, I have to. I try to not add or take anything from what the players are saying. Also a Chinese rocket falling back to Earth, but where? Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition, tomorrow morning from 7 to 9 on KUAF 91.3. You can also listen by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF. Banned Books Week is approaching. The seven days in mid-August reserve time to consider the First Amendment and the constant vigilance against censorship. The Fayetteville Public Library will participate in the national observance with an open art call for work inspired by a banned book. Yesterday, we sat down with Jim Curry, youth and teen librarian at Fayetteville Public Library, to talk about banned books. 
we see it grow, unfortunately, every year. And especially in the last few years, we've seen a large uptick in the number of bands and challenges. So Band Books Week is our recognition of those challenged books and authors and really showing, showcasing those diverse, those diverse perspectives that those works highlight. Maybe you have to be a librarian, a teacher, or a writer to particularly notice. But whenever I see a list, I mean, there's always the ones that you kind of expect. But then there are always these books, and you look at them and say, why is this being challenged? Absolutely. Captain Underpants comes to mind. One of the silliest illustrated chapter books that you could find on the shelf. Um, But we have, there's a number of reasons a book could be challenged. Really, any book on our library shelf, someone could find fault with it to put a ban or challenge on it. We see instances of violence or language, um, but then we, we have more commonplace LGBTQ plus issues uh, just for existing. Um, we see bans for uh, magic or the occult, um, or they, a parent doesn't feel that this is appropriate for an age group or for their child. We see bans and challenges from individuals whose personal beliefs go against a work but they want to blanket that for all users. And that's where there is issue. You have every right as an individual or a parent to not want to read a book or to not want your child to read a book. But when you are forcing that, that blanket ban on other children or other readers, that's where the issues of censorship come into play. All right, let's talk about what's happening with Fayetteville Public Library and Banned Books Week. Um, every year there's something, this year there's something pretty cool because it's going to involve community, and one of my favorite subjects, trading cards. Yes, we are very excited to announce our art project, A Call for Artists for Band Books Week. We are taking original art submissions, 2D art, for trading cards. We would love to see your interpretation of a band book or author and create a 5x7 trading card image for it uh, with a personal statement on why you chose this book, why you chose this author, and we'll discuss some of the issues around that book. We're going to take five winners, and each winner will receive $100, as well as be recognized in an upcoming ceremony during Band Books Week in September, where the art will be unveiled, artists will be recognized, and then we're going to turn those images into posters and hang them in the library for a good while during Band Books Week as well. Who, who, who can send the art? anybody and this project is open to all ages i just had some teenagers in the library yesterday very interested in submitting Um, but we are taking images from anyone uh, that finds our library link we would love for you to be present at the ceremony so maybe some locals Um, but all ages are welcome to submit art for this project i mean so it could be what to kill a mockingbird um i'm going to show my age here it could be on the road or catching the rye Yes, or the newer titles that are making the list, like All Boys Aren't Blue or uh, Lawn Boy. There are a number of titles that you can find that have a ban or challenge, and bandbooksweek.org actually has several lists of banned books over the years. The top 10 every year have made the lists. And I know in the past I've been able to come in during Band Books Week or a little before or after and see displays. Like, here they are. Here are some of them that are the... The usual suspects. Yes, we are, we are great at curating our collections, and we are proud to put those books face out on display during Band Books Week. So take a look around the library in the adult fiction or adult nonfiction, teen fiction, 
we see a lot of bands and challenges in the young adult and youth categories. So take a look around those collections and see what's on display because, and in your local bookstores as well. Uh, I, I've noticed Pearl's Books tends to put lots of books that make the news for these reasons out on display. So pay attention to what's face out during Band Books Week in September. I think we often think of fiction being books that are challenged or, or attempted to be banned, but nonfiction falls in that category as well. Surprisingly so. We don't see as many, um, but for example, the book All Boys Aren't Blue by George Johnson. It's a biography. It is a story of his life as a queer black man, and it is number one on recent banned books lists because he is sharing his real stories as being a queer black man, and a number of those issues have been deemed sensitive topics uh, in their bans and challenges despite his telling his real-life stories. It is the true story of his life as an American man, and people took offense to that. So it's amazing to see the nonfiction get as many bans and challenges as a fiction topic, and it's disheartening. All right. Artists, would-be artists, professionals, amateurs who want to, what do they do? You can submit your work. Uh, we have a link on our webpage, faylib.org, to the band book submissions. Uh, submit it electronically or, in, or a physical copy. Uh, we will review those after the deadline of August 5th. You have until August 5th to submit. Then the, uh, a selection of a committee of library staff and the Fayetteville Public Library Art Committee will select the winners, and they'll be announced in Band Books Week, which runs from September 18th to the 24th. There will be a special ceremony September 19th. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Kyle. It was great talking to you. Jim Curry is Youth and Teen Librarian at the Fayetteville Public Library. Our conversation took place yesterday. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. The Arkansas Times and the Arkansas Cannabis Industry Association present the Medical Marijuana Health Expo, Saturday, August 27th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Northwest Arkansas Convention Center in Rogers. Medical professionals, pharmacists, and local bud tenders will lead seminars on treating a variety of symptoms with medical marijuana. Details and tickets available at Central Arkansas Tickets. The Arkansas Folk and Traditional Arts Apprenticeship Program is now accepting applications. The program funds teams of master artists and their apprentices. This week, we learned more about it from Virginia Siegel, the coordinator for Arkansas Folk and Traditional Arts, and Lauren Adams-Willette, the Folk Arts Survey Coordinator. They told me every state has some version of this program, and Virginia says Arkansas Folk and Traditional Arts documents, presents, and sustains the state's living traditional arts and cultural heritage. The idea is that Arkansas traditions are important, um, but that community members and tradition bearers are the experts. And so we're here to, to document, right, and, and pr create presentations and programming and exhibits on Arkansas traditions. But I think our third prong is the most important, and that is sustaining um, Arkansas traditions, and we do that through um, primarily promoting tradition bearers who are interested in, you know, receiving that support. So the apprenticeship program is an example of how we can provide support to a master artist or master artist, but really the term that would probably be more appropriate would be master tradition bearer. Um, it's, it's a way that we can provide support to a tradition bearer to encourage them 
to be able to give them the time to work with an apprentice to share their expertise so that that expertise sort of carries on to another generation or another person. And, and I want to get into that apprenticeship uh, opportunity here in just a moment. But let's talk about what constitutes a, um, a, a folk or traditional art. I mean, I instantly think of musicians or, or three-dimensional artists, but I, I think there's probably a wide gamut. Oh my gosh, yes. And it's definitely those things that you expect, like folk music, quilting, in the Ozarks especially, like ballad singing. Um, but really, um, we use the language of arts a lot, primarily because you know, sort of our biggest funders come from the arts. So like the National Endowment for the Arts is the, is the biggest champion of, of folk and traditional arts in the country. Um, but really what we're talking about when we're talking about um, folk arts or tradition is anywhere that there is um, a tradition that is shared in a community, learned in a community and sort of, um, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's it exactly. And folk arts is really anywhere that there's a tradition that is shared and learned in a community. So that could be everything from um, from those things we listed, right? Quilting, um, music, but that's even things like baking, right? Like who is the best, who, who, who makes the best bread that you know, right? Or um, it's those things we share even in our families. So like um, our holiday traditions, um, the, the, the ghost stories we tell each other around the campfire. So folklore, the idea of folklore and in, in our, in, after we use, folklore, folk art, tradition, somewhat interchangeably, although, you know, there's some nuances there, but that is the heart of what folklore is. Let's talk about the apprenticeship, because the idea is to to make sure that these these arts, these 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 skills stay on. Is How will this apprenticeship idea work? Um, we are not the originator of this idea, I just want to clarify, most state folk arts programs have a folk and traditional arts apprenticeship program. And really it's kind of the heart and soul of state folk arts programs because it does, you know, our mission, right, is to encourage the transmission and sort of promotion of traditions in our states. And it's through this apprenticeship program that we can provide a stipend to a master artist to compensate them for their time in working with an apprentice and sharing their skills and knowledge. So um, our apprenticeship program offers, again, so an award, a stipend to a master artist, as well as some materials um, funding if they'd like it, um, you know, because some art forms require a lot of materials. <laughs> um, but the goal really is to honor that master artist and to be able to give them some support. I think there's a worry that folklore is something that's so interwoven in our daily lives that artists are often not compensated for the expertise that they have, and they should be. So we want to make sure through this program that we're being able to support our artists who would like to do this program. I should mention every state's apprenticeship cycle is a little bit different, just in case we have listeners, you know, in, in neighboring states. Um, but for us, um, Master artists 
should already identify their apprentice. Ideally, it's someone in their community already, right? Someone maybe they already know or who's already interested in working with them. Um, and to, they will apply together. Um, the application is um, hopefully not too complicated, but there's a section for the master artist to fill out to talk a little bit about how they'd like to share their art form, and then a section for the apprentice, the potential apprentice to fill out um, so they can also explain like, you know, why they're interested in this art form. And applications are due the last day in August, um, and we expect that master artists will work with their apprentice. Um, from roughly November, that'll probably be the earliest um, that'll make sense for folks to start, you know, given once we made the award um, through May of 2023. Lauren, let, let me bring you into this conversation. Uh, what do you see as, as your role and connection to this, this, this program? Mostly to just go and talk to people about this program and try to identify potential uh, master tradition bearers who might want to participate or um, people who might know them. So anytime that I go anywhere and I'm out uh, in the community, um, I just try to look for places where, oh, maybe I can drop off my card and tell them a little bit about the program, um, especially right now. Uh, since applications are open. And and so, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be in Eureka Springs a couple weeks ago. So I, um, you know, it was, that was a great place to get to do <laughs> some outreach. So this could be like Mountain View or I guess just about anywhere though. You don't always know where you might find someone who is, is very skilled at one of these, uh, one of these um, art forms. We, we would really like to reach people outside of the Ozarks as well. So in the Delta or, you know, on Crowley's Ridge or the Arkansas River Valley or Southwest Arkansas, um, it's, it's open to anyone who lives in the state. So, um, yeah, we would, we would love to see people from, from Mountain View and the Ozarks as well, of course, but, but we, we want to make sure that, that it's clear that it's for anyone interested in Arkansas. That, that has these skills and knowledge. Lauren, what, what are the conversations like when you do meet someone who would could could be great at, you know, being on the, what are we going to call it, the, uh, the experience side of the apprenticeship program? It's really great, honestly, because it's not often that you can go into a conversation as, um, as a field worker or folklorist and say, hey, I have something to tell you about, and you can do this right now and it can it's something that that could potentially you know offer you some money uh in exchange for you transferring these skills and so um it, it's great because most of the time people's faces light up if they're interested and or or if they just happen to know someone who might be and um i really enjoy it so yeah it's wonderful I'd like to add to um wanted to echo Lauren's point about trying to reach the, throughout the state, but also to think of, sort of broadly about what folk arts means to you if you're you know listening and interested, because we use, like I said, we use the language of the arts a lot. Um, and by using the words master artist, I worry sometimes that people don't see themselves in this opportunity. But, you know, if you're like, 
if you are like the quilter that everyone goes to in your community, or you know someone who is, right, or you're the storyteller, or um, you have this skill that you've been working on for a long time, and you'd like to pass it on to someone, you are absolutely who we're trying to reach. Um, sort of the standard of excellence, right, for a master artist isn't determined necessarily by Lauren and I, it's the standard of excellence within your community, right? So like, does your community regard you as a master? And then making sure to sort of talk about that in the application about how your community sees you as a master. Um, but, you know, I think that's the nature of things with applications, right, is I worry that people don't see themselves in it. But really, when we're talking, what we're talking about here applies to a lot of people in Arkansas. <laughs> Virginia Siegel is the coordinator for Arkansas Folk and Traditional Arts, and Lauren adams Willett is the Folk Arts Survey Coordinator. We discussed the apprenticeship program earlier this week. This is Ozarks at Large. We have hit the last weekend of July. To tell us what's going on for this last week of July, and I bet the first few days of August, we bring in Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette from her Bella Vista office. Hello, Becca. What's going on is we're all be we're all going to be having GoFundMe's to pay the utility bills. That's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But if you want happier news than that. Yes. I know you and I are both too young to remember the music of the 70s. I have been told about the music of the 70s, but I do not recall the music of the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of horse hockey going on. Here. Yeah. But even if you weren't alive in the 70s, you know all these songs. I mean, seriously. All right now, that's the way I've always heard it should be. Without you, I'd really love to see you tonight. Torn between two lovers, three times a lady. Still the one, Saturday night. Hooked on a feeling, knock three times. If you wanted to hear all this music this weekend, where might you go? I know the answer to this. Do you want me to answer? Sure. You would go to downtown Rogers. Where they're doing a jukebox music called, that's called Disaster. And the premise is like those terrible, campy disaster films of the 70s, like the Poseidon Adventure. Mm -hmm. Charismatic ladies' man is working on a floating casino that's called the Barracuda. And he runs into his ex-girlfriend, and there's also an aging but still sexy jazz singer and a disaster expert who's trying to tell them that this floating <laughs> casino is going down. Of course there is. Of course there is. Yes. 8 o'clock today and tomorrow, 2 o'clock Sunday, again for the next two weekends at Arkansas Public Theater at the Victory and Rogers. Tickets start at $25 at ArkansasPublicTheater.org. And if you know Katie Church from on stage... You may not know that she's also a visual artist, and her work is in the gallery at APT during this show. All right. It's her Judgy series. If you live in the South, you know what Judgy means. Oh, yes. Bless oh, your yes. heart. <laughs> right. And then, of course, the traditional musical this summer at Fort Smith Little Theater, Annie. Right. Which also has a ton of songs that you know to sing along to. And two adorable children trading off in the roles of Annie. Here's the fun one. 
40 years ago, a nice lady named Charlotte Scott played one of the orphans in a community production of Annie in Fort Smith. Oh. This year, she is back as Miss Hannigan. How about that? She says it's the first show that she's done since that long ago time. The only time she's really wanted to be in a musical, but she's wanted to play Miss Hannigan for 40 years. That show is also opening tonight. They had their big opening last night. But tonight and tomorrow night at 7.30, 2 o'clock on Sunday, and again the next two weekends at Fort Smith Little Theater. Tickets are $20, and there will be half-price kids' tickets August 4th and August 11th while supplies last. But we're not done yet. Oh. It's one of those theater weekends that makes my heart happy. <laughs> Arts One Presents, which is the legacy of the Art Center of the Ozarks, is finishing its run of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. 7 o'clock today and tomorrow, 3 o'clock on Sunday, at the Pat Ellison Performing Arts Center at Don Tyson School of Innovation, which is on Hilton Road in, Fayette, in not Fayetteville, Springdale. And tickets for that start at $20 at arts1presents.org. And Arts Live Theater is doing Annie Junior. So you could have a comparative Annie right. experience. Right. It is one weekend only, 7 o'clock today, 2 and 7 tomorrow, 2 on Sunday at the University of Arkansas Global Campus on the square in Fayetteville. And tickets for that start at $12. Also starting tonight, the Peacemaker Festival in Fort Smith, which includes Lucas Nelson, whose daddy is named Willie. Right. I'm interested in that. And a whole bunch of other people, Charlie Crockett and Steel Woods and Gracie York and them Dirty Roses, Tonight and tomorrow night at Riverside Park, and tickets start at $59. And then on Saturday, there is a sing-along film concert at 7.30 at the Amp to the movie Encanto. If you have children or grandchildren in the five-ish age, you can sing along. Gates open at 6, tickets start at $25 at waltonartcenter.org. On Sunday, uh, this may be the last Mountain Street stage, Will Johnson at 2 o'clock at the event center at Fayetteville Public Library. This is a summer series that you don't want to miss. So if you haven't been yet this year, go. And guess what starts Tuesday? August 2nd. I don't know. What starts Tuesday? Tawny Town Great Festival. Oh, yeah. For the 100 and what year? Oh, gosh. 123rd or something. Yeah. Don't, don't quote us on that. Neither one of us knows for sure. But it's a hundred and something. The important part is that it starts Tuesday with the carnival, a great stomp of live music, and the chicken and spaghetti dinner start Thursday. Oh, I'm already hungry. I'm already hungry for that. Yeah, me too. By the way, it is the 123rd. Oh, good job. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Becca Martin-Brown features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Support for KUAF comes from Westwood Gardens, a family-owned garden center with four locations in northwest Arkansas. Westwood plants are grown locally and offer a variety of annuals and perennials, herbs, vegetables, and more. Westwoodgardens.com for information. On recent editions of Ozarks at Large, we heard music from Creek Bed Carter Hogan and Paige Renee Berry. They stopped by our Furman Garner Performance Studio at KUAF as they were passing through town in advance of a show in Fayetteville. They were joined on that tour by another musician named McCain Lakey. 
Here's McCain performing a few songs inside our Furman Garner Performance Studio for Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis. This song I was thinking I would play right now is one that I wrote while um, on the road as a front of house audio engineer. Um, And uh, I was touring with this band out of Portland, Oregon called March 4th, which are a big, crazy funk circus extravaganza. And um, we were driving... We were driving uh, home at the end of tour um, to the band home of Portland, and um, we were passing through the great state of Wyoming, and um, wound up stopping um, at this really beautiful lake, and I was sitting by the lake, hanging out with the bus driver, who was the person who spearheaded this adventure to the lake, and um, we were up in the mountains, and um, and I was just sitting by this lake, and the, it started to rain, and the rain was just hitting these little droplets all along the surface of the lake, and it was just this beautiful sight. And uh, we were, there's like a mountain ridge on one side, and the sun is just kind of starting to get lower in the sky. And I was just completely overcome and thought, man, this place needs a song. Turned to the bus driver, this guy Mark, and I was like, Mark... Where are we? Because this place needs a song. And he said, we're in Medicine Bow National Forest, and this lake is Lake Marie. And so this song is called Lake Marie. Um, And it's about missing things. Um, And yeah, usually when I play it, I like to kind of put out an invitation that if there's something in your life that you're missing, and you just kind of want to like hold that in your heart for a few minutes, um, here's an invitation. Um, I know, yeah, the last couple years, I feel like there's a lot of things to miss. (laughs) And sometimes it's just nice to have an outlet to just kind of sit with that for a second. moments I've wanted to share 
song that's pretty new. It's a pretty recent one. Uh, and uh, we'll see if I make it through. It's a, it's a song, it gets a, it's a little salty. It's salty. Uh, yeah, and it's a song about um, being born with particular body parts that um, people seem to have a lot of opinions about um, and just kind of navigating that and feeling real salty. And that's what... <laughs> This is a part of my body that somebody told me that I should be. 
sits here on top of my rib cage. It's only about two thirds of my age, and it hides my heart away. Sometimes it gets to feeling heavy with all the expectations. Every time you're feeling sensitive, you pull out all your insecurities and try to make them about me. You like to compare me to some of your old ex-girlfriends. Don't you know I'm not a girl? Don't you know I'm not your friend? Kane Lakey performing inside the Furman Garner Performance Studio at KUAF earlier this year. You can find more of McCain's music at McCainLakey.com. That's M-C-K-A-I-N-L-A-K-E-Y.com. You can also search Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. KUAF is supported by Dr. Kathleen Wong, a psychiatrist providing infusion therapy for treatment of depression and anxiety disorders. Following NIMH protocol, infusion therapy is an effective alternative when other treatments fail. Dr. Kathleen Wong, WebMD, for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. It's Friday. Time to talk movies. And to help me do that, as usual, on Zoom is Courtney Lanning. Courtney, happy Friday. Kyle, happy Friday indeed. And I'm happy to say that it, it, it looks like it looks like you liked the movie you reviewed this week, which makes me happy. Yes, I did very much enjoy it. Uh, you and I both know that once in a while, negative reviews happen, but uh, I don't always enjoy being part of them. Well, and I'm also happy because this is a movie I wanted to be likable. It's called DC League of Super Pets. So it's about the pets that are owned by the likes of Superman and Batman. Right, and... What a storied history they have. So, if I remember correctly, uh, Superman made his debut in 1939, mm-hmm. and Crypto, his faithful best friend, the dog Wonder, uh, made his debut in 1955. So, there's quite a storied history there, and this movie taps into a lot of that. Uh, Superman fans are going to find a lot of great Easter eggs for their favorite hero. Uh, there's hints of 
themes from uh, the 80s movies. Um, there's lots of history and just really good nuggets for longtime fans of the comics that they'll appreciate. This is an animated film. It is. This is a new cartoon that's out. Uh, and I'll say the, the animation, it gets the job. Okay. Uh, Warner Brothers definitely ain't given Disney or DreamWorks a run for their money with this one. Um, it, it's, it's not going to get nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars, but it, it looks fine on the big screen. It's, it's, a, it's fine. I mean, the idea is to draw young viewers into the theater. Will young viewers like it? Will the adults who take them like it? Yes. To all of the above. Uh, I, one of the things that surprised me was just how much Super Pets offered to everybody. Uh, there's a lot of great jokes that probably only the adults will get since they're there in the audience with their kids. Uh, there's obviously really cute moments for the kids to enjoy. Uh, there's good action. I expected this to be a more immature movie like The Secret Life of Pets, which I'll let you in on a secret, Kyle. I didn't enjoy very much at all. So... What is our plot here with Crypto and the other animals? So this, again, caught me off guard. You'd think a kid's movie would open up on something really silly, but the movie has the guts to open up with the destruction of Krypton, which Superman fans will know is Superman's home planet that blows up. Uh, his parents are getting ready to send him off on an escape pod that will eventually carry him to Earth. Only this time, he has a puppy named Crypto that hops into the ship with him and promises to watch over him forever. We cut to modern day, uh, Clark Kent, Superman's alter ego, is, is working for the Daily Planet, living in Metropolis, dating Lois Lane, and just having a great time with Crypto, who is voiced by The Rock. Things go awry. Uh, I won't spoil too much, but the Justice League gets kidnapped. Uh, Crypto has to team up with some other pets that get powers, like Batman's eventual dog, Ace, uh, and they have to free the Justice League. The only problem I have, and I've, you know, go back decades reading Superman being aware, the only problem I ever had with all of this is I thought Crypto was kind of a, wasn't the best name. I mean, it's like naming, if you had a dog and you named him Earthy, right? He's named after your planet, <laughs> but whatever. Right, and trust me, that's one of the jokes that oh. they throw in the movie. So they're very, very aware of okay. the fact that he has a silly name. What else is coming out this week? So another big movie coming out is called 13 Lives. Uh, this oh is from Ron Howard. This is a film coming to Amazon Prime. And it's about the cave rescue of those students in Thailand who got trapped after the intense flooding. And there was, you know, I'm, you remember, yeah. I'm sure our listeners remember, there was days and days of, are we going to be able to get them out? You know, those treacherous, narrow caverns and hard to get in and out. Now, next week, we're going to have an old-fashioned double feature from Courtney Lanning. That's right. It's a grindhouse, except <laughs> not, not a grindhouse. Right. But double feature, like you said. Uh, I will have a review on Prey, which is a prequel to Predator. And I've been looking forward to this one for months because it looks like, it looks like we may finally get the first decent follow-up to Predator because... Everything. Let's face it, all the sequels have been just lackluster. Nothing's captured that lightning in the bottle Arnie right. had in the jungle. Uh, and then there's a new animated film coming to Apple TV Plus that I will review. It's called Luck. And it is about a girl who teams up with a black cat and decides to do something about all the bad luck in her life. And if you watch anything on Apple TV Plus, you've seen this preview. They are sticking it in front of everything. 
<laughs> and uh, I don't know. I don't. We'll see. We'll see. Double feature uh, next week from Courtney Lightning. You can read the full review of the. Let me make sure I get this title right. The D.C. League of Super Pets in today's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And we should point out, over the course of decades, almost every D.C. superhero that you know had a pet. You're right. They have. Uh, and trust me, this this movie pays close attention to the history of these comic characters. I can't wait. Courtney Lanning, as always, thank you. Thanks for having me, Kyle. The celebration of the 50th anniversary of the designation of the Buffalo River as a national river continues tomorrow afternoon with a special concert in Gilbert. Two members of the Ozark Highballers, Roy and Aviva Pilgrim, will perform music as it would have existed along the Buffalo about 100 years ago. Still on the Hill will perform music from their CD, Still a River. That recording, released in 2016, pays tribute to the legends and stories of the Buffalo. Their performance, punctuated with demonstrations of traditional dance and commentary about guitar making, so all happens tomorrow from 2 until 3.30 at the Schoolhouse Meeting Rooms in downtown Gilbert. Elle Woods, the heroine of Legally Blonde, will be on her way to Harvard this weekend at the King Opera House in Van Buren. Community School of the Arts, based in Fort Smith, is producing Legally Blonde Junior tomorrow at 2 and 7 at the King Opera House. You know the musical. It's about a woman who is discounted by her boyfriend and others for being shallow. Then, spoiler alert, she earns her law degree at Harvard. For more information, you can call 434-2020 or send an email to info at CSA. FortSmith.org. Think of the Community School of the Arts, CSA, FortSmith.org. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Montanay. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors to this Friday program included Timothy Dennis, Michael Tilley, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Matthew Moore produced the show Inside. Studio 120 today. Our community engagement manager at KUAF is Jasper Logan. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'll be back with you Sunday morning at 9 with the next edition of Weekend Ozarks at Large. Have a safe rest of your Friday.